Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 25, where the um, passage, as always, is printed in the bulletin. Hebrews 10, 10, 25. This is the favorite passage, the favorite verse of ministers down through the ages. Ten twenty five. it says, let us not give up meeting together. Uh, in other words, go to church is, is usually how <laughs> it, it's rendered. Let us not give up meeting together. The, the Greek word that the author of Hebrews uses here is the word episynagogen, from which we get the word, you can hear the similarity, synagogue. And the synagogue was the, the formal Jewish assembly for worship on Saturdays. As these Christian brothers and sisters were beginning to experience increasing persecution, and the persecution was only going to get worse because Emperor Nero is going to burn down the city of Rome and then blame it on the Christians, the temptation becomes greater and greater to stop meeting on Sundays. So that's why this has been a favorite passage for ministers down through the years. You have a proof text. You know, I can tell you definitively, go to church. Don't miss church. But if I'm being honest, if, if, there's actually there's far more here than just go to church. This passage tells us to do a lot of things which go beyond just Sunday morning. What it really speaks about, and Shelton uh, said it somewhat at the very beginning of the service, it speaks about spiritual friendships, Christian, real Christian, deep Christian friendships. So here's the definition I'm going to work with this morning. A spiritual friendship is a deep oneness, a deep oneness that develops as two people journey together toward the same destination, helping one another through the dangers and challenges along the way. Christian friendship is not simply enjoying the same sporting event or going to concerts together, but what a great expression. The deep oneness that develops as two people journey together toward the same destination, uh, helping one another through the dangers and challenges along the way. And if that's true, then we don't just go to church. We don't just come to hear a preacher. We, we eat together. We pray together. We learn together. We confess our sins to each other. We love. We are, we are, I mean, most of the healthiest churches are the ones which have, A, a lot of spiritual friendships going on within her, and B, kind of think of this whole thing in terms of one large spiritual friendship. I mean, we, sh- we shouldn't think of, uh, of course we shouldn't think of church as this perfunctory check it off on the box on Sunday morning. We're one big friendship, or maybe, hopefully, <laughs> that's what's, most Americans would disagree though, of course, at least American Christians. 81% of American Christians say that you can, you can live a flourishing Christian life without being part of a church. So they would disagree. Um, well, let's see what the author of Hebrews says, beginning in verse 10. 10 through 18 uh, are, is kind of a summary of what we covered last week. So I'm not touching on it very much, but if you want to hear the sermon last week about sacrifices and priests. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his re- religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, he's enthroned as the priest king. He sat down. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. 
For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For He says in Jeremiah chapter 31, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write my laws on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Complete forgiveness. I'll remember them no more. And where these have been forgiven, then sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. We talked last week, we said the curtain is the veil in the tabernacle which separates the holy place from the most holy place. That's the curtain. Or in the temple, that's the... Well, what happens to the veil when Jesus is crucified on Good Friday? The veil is torn. And so metaphorically, I think what the author is saying is that Jesus' body metaphorically is like that curtain in that it is, it's torn and it opens up then the way from, into the most holy place. So we have confidence to enter the most holy place of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, which is presumably a reference here to baptism. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, episynagoguing, <laughs> as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You won't find the word Christianity in your Bible. But you will find, on seven different occasions in the book of Acts, this expression, the way, the way. If you were to ask a baptized follower of Jesus during the first century, what is your religion, they'd probably answer something along those lines, similar to how Paul answers when he's asked in his trial before the Roman governor Felix, what's this religion that you follow? He says, he says, uh, I follow the way. I admit that I follow the way, which others call, he says, others call it a cult. The way that Jesus had inaugurated a new way of life. And because the lifestyle of the way was such a radical departure from the way of the Roman Empire, uh, people viewed the way with great suspicion and often maligned it as a dangerous cult. What I'm going to say this morning about spiritual friendships Hopefully you don't think it's cultish. <laughs> uh, but it is a, it's a radical departure from the Boise way. Uh, the way that we, most Boiseans do life. Uh, Boisley, Boiseans we know are fiercely independent, and fiercely private, and probably the creed which characterizes us is, is, is this creed, my business is none of your business. My business is my business, and it ain't nobody else's business. We're just fiercely uh, private in that way. And, and that's not the way of Christian friendship. 
What does this passage have to teach us about spiritual friendships? Four things. First, and Tim Keller, uh, I'm drawing on him. He has some excellent ideas on this topic. And he says the first step in, in spiritual friendship is simply to consider. Verse 24, let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider. If you've ever gone to a counselor before, you know, you, you very quickly find out that counselors like to take notes. They will sit there and they will ask you questions and they, they will vigorously, they'll write down some of your answers, but they're also just writing down some of their thoughts. Why is it the counselors take notes? The, it's because they're, they're not just listening and then going to shoot from the hip. They're, they're listening to, to deeply ponder and to consider you. They're considering you. They are asking themselves the question, how can I help this client become less anxious? How can I help this client become less angry? How can I, how can I help this person forgive? How, you know, that's what a counselor is supposed to do, is to, is to deeply consider us. And in the same way, in spiritual friendships, brothers and sisters, the idea is that you have a set of people around you who are actively considering, how can I help you grow? How can I help you grow in love and good deeds? How, they're considering. Of course, they're not taking notes on you. <laughs> that would be very weird and strange. But how can I help you grow in Christ's likeness? I don't know. I, I'd say that very, very, very few of us have that as, as part of our, our Christian friendships. Um, hardly any of us have that kind of intentionality of purpose built into our, our friendships. Um, we don't have people considering how to, how to make me grow in love and good deeds. And uh, um, we, we often, we don't have, many men don't even have relationships, friendships at all. I mean, they have golfing buddies. <laughs> they have fly fishing buddies. Why do we have relationships where one Christian considers another Christian in this way? And I know there's a lot of different answers to it, but um, I mean, part of it is we, we never had that modeled for us. I mean, did you ever find and have any, anybody ever tell you that that's what's supposed to be part of a friendship? No, I mean, no, it was never modeled for us. We just don't think of it. So first is, the first step of spiritual friendship is consider. The second step of spiritual friendship is, the word is spur. <laughs> yes, the, uh, the, the steel spiked wheel into your side. Let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and, and good deeds. Why do you spur an animal? You spur an animal because it doesn't want to go in the direction that it needs to go. Um, we, we spur an animal into the right path. And I think that's an excellent descriptor of us because we don't naturally go the way that God wants us to go. Uh, the Bible says that we should be forgiving, but our natural inclination is to hold grudges. The Bible says we shouldn't be spending all our money on ourselves in self-indulgent ways. We should be giving it away at others for others, but I, but I want to spend my money on myself. My natural inclination is not the way of Jesus. So in spiritual friendship, when a friend sees you diverting from the path... You give him license or her license to spur, nail me, <laughs> blast me if necessary. Um, 
Proverbs 27, verse 6. Great proverb. Wounds, the wounds from a friend are, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies what? An enemy multiplies kisses. The wounds from a friend can be trusted. When two people decide to enter into spiritual friendship, you are granting the other person privileged access into your life to deliver a wound. But according to the Proverbs, it's a wound that heals. According to the Proverbs, it's kisses that wound and wounds that, of a friend that, that heal. I mean, we love to be kissed and be told exactly what we want to hear from, from someone else. But no, 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 no. In spiritual friendship, we say, we say, wound me if necessary. My private life is your business. My private life is your business. Killer again. He says, for this to be successful... It involves a great deal of, uh, of honesty. For us to really enter into spiritual friendship, I, I'm going to have to tell you everything I can about what's wrong with me, about what my sins are, what my flaws are, what my weaknesses are, what my temptations are. And the reason I'm going to do that is I want you to know me well enough so that you can you know, deliver the wound <laughs> in the right place, I guess. Right? Um, I want you to know me well enough so that you can actually see me and know what's going on and even see me better than I see myself. In spiritual friendship, I give you the green light. I I give you a hunting license to come into my life and to call me to account to live the way that Jesus wants me to live. Um, Matt Chandler is a pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, 20. 20,000, not 20 million, 20, 20 to 25,000 member church, huge church. And, and he said this in one of his sermons, Shulton reminded me of it, is that he said, there is nothing that could come out in my life. There's absolutely nothing that could come out in my life that four, that four guys who I'm closest to don't already know about. There, there's no way that I'm going to, I'm not going to commit any you know, great, big, pastoral, scandalous sin because there is nothing that happens in me or with me that four other guys don't know about. That's revealing. <laughs> that's, that's intense. That's spiritual friendship. So first was consider. Second was spur. Third is, is the word encourage. And this is where I, we probably need to spend more time on encourage than even the other two. Verse 25 Uh, Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the day here is a reference to the return of Jesus Christ. And he says that your encouragement, a lot of times we we see these guys with the sandwich boards on and they're walking around and on the front of the sandwich board is, the end is near, you know, repent. The, the, The end is coming. Well, the author of Hebrews says, the end is near. Encourage all the more. Encourage each other as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, in, in good friendships, 90% of it is encouragement and only 10% of it is spurring. <laughs> you know, a good friendship is strongly slanted toward encouragement and affirmation. That's what, uh, as I understand, really comes out in the Bandersnatch book. Just exorbitant praise and affirmation that, that the group of um, Christian intellectuals and friends had. Um, but we, we should be each other's biggest cheerleaders and supporters. This life is so discouraging. It's so fraught with failure and rejection. 
uh, Proverbs 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. (laughs) A word fitly spoken, a word of encouragement is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. You got to encourage a lot, a lot, a lot. There's also the image that Paul uses in the book of Galatians where he says, carry each other's Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ being the law of love. Carry each other's burdens. When somebody, when one of your friends has that, that weight on them, that their shoulders are just too narrow or their legs are too weak, in order to carry their burden, what do you have to do? You have to, you have to move up very close to them. So close to them that the actual weight of, it can, the weight of the burden can be transferred onto your shoulders as well. You have to move up that close. An emotional burden. Yeah, it's, it's draining to sit and listen to somebody unpack <laughs> their emotional burdens. But you, that's what Friday nights are for if they need you for that. You come alongside and allow it to... You carry it. You, you transfer some of that emotional weight off of your shoulders to the other person. It's also true of a financial burden. Someone is drowning in, in bills and, and their anxiety is off the charts. How am I going to pay for this? A friend will will share in some of the financial misery. That's what it means to carry each other's burdens, is to dip into your checking account and see to it that that you feel the pain too. But that, friends, that is real encouragement. It's not only encouragement in word, but it's encouragement in, in, in concrete action. That's why they say, an acquaintance, the, the motto of, a, of, of an acquaintance is, call me if you need anything. <laughs> a friend says, I will do whatever it takes so that you don't fall into ruin. That's encouragement. And that's what we're supposed to be doing all the more as we see the day approaching, according to author of Hebrews here. Then fourthly, finally, so consider, spur, encourage, draw near is number four. Her name was Elvina Hall. She was sitting in the choir loft of the Monument Street Methodist Church of Baltimore one Sunday morning when the pastor was praying a very lengthy pastoral prayer. Uh, And she starts to, she didn't fall asleep, but she started to daydream. But in her daydreams, words came to her, words that she thought she needed to write down. She's in the choir loft, so she doesn't have an extra piece of paper available. Maybe they didn't have bulletins. This was like 1840. But she does have her hymnal. So she starts to write down the words of her daydream in her hymnal. And these are, these are the ones that she jotted down. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. That was the product of a Christian daydream. <laughs> so after the service, she takes her doodling to the pastor Shows it to him, maybe rather sheepishly, <laughs> but shows it to him. And it just so happened that that week, the organist of the church had composed a new tune, which he was looking for lyrics to go with this new tune, and he, sh- he shared the tune with the pastor. And so that's how Jesus Paid It All was written. Jesus, the, he sees the second verse, and he says, this is going to be the refrain of this song. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's a summary of verses 11 through 18. Jesus Jesus paid it all by offering his body. He did what the sacrifice of bulls and goat's blood could never do, which would be, to, to talk last week, to cleanse our conscience 
and to make us make it so that we would be completely forgiven. And therefore, verse 22, where does he go with it? Verse 22, brothers and sisters, he says, because Jesus paid it all, let us draw near to God. Why am I in church today? Why am I in church today? I'm in church today because my parents drug me here. Why, am, why are you in church today? I mean, the answer should be so simply, verse 22, because I want to draw near to God with a sincere heart. I go to church way too often without that as my motivation. <laughs> Don't you? We really, I want, Jesus paid it all, therefore I want to draw near to God. Go back to John Calvin's view of worship. He said, uh, worship is, um, is uh, he said, the goal of gathered worship is to bring people face to face with God. Jesus paid it all so that we could draw near face to face with God together. And I really believe God is honored when people sincerely are motivated to come to worship for that reason. And one of our, the great tasks we have as parents is try to help our kids to get that place. I mean, most kids, you, you don't just grow up. That's not the natural way that you think about church is, I can't wait to go draw near to God today. But part of our shepherding of their hearts is, I, I get, how do you do that? You do it by sincerely wanting Christ all through the week, chasing after Christ all through the week. And let me conclude with this. Friendships are certainly difficult to maintain today in our culture for a variety of reasons. Mobility. People move quickly, frequently. It seems like our, our friendships can move away uh, more quickly than we can forge them. Mobility. Busyness. We're, just, we're busy, and we, there's not a much, much energy left for people at the end of a workday to foster friendships. Laziness. We're, <laughs> we're just lazy, and we don't take the time. And the worst answer is the answer of self-reliance. We don't have spiritual friendships because I don't need anyone. But in verse 25, the author says, do not neglect meeting together. And this is that cute operative phrase, as is the habit of some. As is the habit of some. Some of us are in the habit of missing church. Some of us are in the habit of perfunctory church, church attendance. And nearly all of us are in the habit of not fostering spiritual friendships. I've, just, I've rarely met uh, many people who, who do, who, who, can, who do all of what I said. Who consider, who spur, who encourage, who draw near together. Friends, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways. Hopefully he works on you in the sermon, he works on you in the Lord's Supper. But, of a, but, but, but above all, he works on us through each other. How about letting someone into your life? At least a little, a little. Now, I realize most of us are not going to walk away from this sermon today and jump into this deep, accountable relationship with another person. But how about letting someone into your life a, a little and opening up to them a little about, about your hurts and your problems and your needs and your desire to follow Christ and holding each other accountable a little. How about starting to break the habit? Because the way of Jesus is the way of friendship. John fifteen fifteen, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends. The way of Jesus is a way of deep friendship, deep oneness that develops as two people journey together toward the same destination, helping one another through the dangers and challenges along the way. Is this, is this the way that, you're, that you are, you're going, that you're willing to go?